Good morning. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Good to have you guys back. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in this morning for Tim uh, while he's away in San Francisco. I want to welcome everyone here. Welcome those listening online. Let's get started with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, another day of life, another week that you've given us and given us this day and for what it represents. I ask that you guide our study today uh, as we uh, discuss the concept of self-esteem, how it relates to uh, your creation and your plan for humanity. Uh, Please continue to bless our class collectively uh, and individually, and be with those who are not with us today and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We are on lesson number nine in our quarterly, Jesus Wept, the Bible and Human Emotions. This lesson is entitled Self-Esteem. And did any of you have any questions or, or thoughts or brilliant glimpses of the obvious as you uh, were preparing for this week's lesson? I saw myself in it. You saw yourself in it. Okay. Any, anyone else? The self and self-esteem. Uh, okay. All right. Interesting. Um, my first question was, is the concept of self-esteem God-given or is it has, has it resulted from... Uh, sin did god create us to be self-esteeming or others esteeming both both okay uh explain well if we don't when when christ said about the first you know the two commandments the two great commandments love god and love your neighbor as yourself Mm -hmm. and if if you don't have any estimate of what you are or who you are, how are you going to have a good estimation or estimate of someone else? Okay, valid point. Um, But here again, um, was that the need to give that commandment, was that a result of, of sin entering the world? Or were Adam and Eve, before the fall, were they originally created to esteem others more than themselves. More than themselves, yes. Yeah, I'm not saying they esteem themselves. They didn't esteem themselves at all, but... Thoughts? Maybe. I think it depends on where you derive your self-esteem from. Okay. Is it because of who you are as a child of God? Or is it because you think there's something inherent in yourself that's worthy or... A good, you know, I'm so great, instead of remembering that he's so great, and I'm a conduit of his love to others. Okay, excellent. Any other thoughts? Maybe self-worth would be a better way to say it, that we we have worth because of what (coughs) Christ did for us, creating us and redeeming us. That, that's true. We do have self-worth because of that. Um, but it, my, my question is, still goes back to before the fall, how were Adam and Eve wired? Yes? It's a matter of balance. And they have balance. But if you're too high on yourself, then you're set for problems. But if you're too low on yourself, then Satan has an opportunity also. Okay. A, a little clue for me is is the comment from Adam at the fall where he said, I was naked, like the sudden, there's a sudden shift. 
of self-awareness right. that, that hadn't been there before. That gives me a little Yeah. Okay, good. The uh, in, in, here again in researching for this uh, for this week's lesson, uh, I discovered that the the concept of self esteem and, and its examination and its uh, definition and its um, prevalence uh, really only came into its beginning in the in the mid sixties. So that's less than fifty years ago. Um, now that doesn't mean that folks long before had issues with self-esteem, but to define it and describe it and try to quantify it, et cetera, et cetera, it has only been in the last 50 years that this, uh, that this concept has received any um, significant attention. Um, I also got to thinking, what, where do we see our first example in history of uh, self-esteem gone run amok? Lucifer. Where where do we get that from? The Bible. Thank you. <laughs> Specifically Isaiah fourteen yes. verses two through four. Turn with me, please. Excuse me, I said two through four, I meant twelve through fourteen. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Here we go. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is a excellent example of self-esteem gone awry. The lesson this week focused primarily uh, and made some great points on um, issues of low self-esteem. Uh, I wish they had done more discussing a, a high self-esteem or a higher than appropriate self-esteem because that, that problem is what has got us into the state we're in now. The idea that Lucifer esteemed himself better than God, better than Christ, et cetera, et cetera. I want to deal with some definitions of self-esteem. And yes, they did come from Wikipedia, so deal with it. The, those who have issues with Wikipedia, my apologies. The original definition presents self-esteem as a ratio found by dividing one's successes in areas of life importance given to an individual by the failures in them or one's successes uh, divided by pretensions. And uh, bear with me, I may, may bore you to, to tears with some of this. Um, problems with this approach can come from making self-esteem contingent upon success. This implies an inherent instability because failure can occur at any moment. So we have, uh, we have one definition, basically our successes divided by our failures. Any problems with this? Yes? I just think it's a fundamentally thing to measure your worth by what you do as opposed to who you are. Okay. I want to say that's not based on the solidity of God. That's based on what we can do. Absence of God. <laughs> okay, well, bear, bear in mind that, that many of these uh, people that define this are, are humanists in their approach. Um, you know, they, they may be atheistic. I don't know their 
you know, personal or religious uh, background or moral high, uh, standing or whatever. Well, or, or another way to look at it, it's, it's built on something that is not solid, something that is inconsistent. <laughs> it built on a sandy foundation. I completely agree. But this is these are I'm presenting this because these are some of the definitions that are out there, and and I, I want us to be aware of them. Uh, there was a guy named Morris Rosenberg. Um, he and the social learning theorists define self-esteem in terms of a stable sense of personal worth or worthiness. Sound a little better than the first one? Maybe. A gentleman named Nathaniel Brandon in 1969 defined self-esteem as, quote, the experience of being competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and being worthy of happiness. This two-factor approach, as some have come to call it, uh, provides a balanced definition that seems to be capable of dealing with the limits of defining self-esteem primarily in terms of competence or of worth alone. I think Satan wants us to view worthiness by what we accomplish, whatever it is. It's a false view of self-worth. God gives us worth just because we are. I agree, absolutely. But can't low self-esteem sometimes make us feel like that we, that we can't accept God's, that God can't, doesn't forgive us? I, that was so bad that he, he's not going to forgive that. Or we make... That's based on Satan's lie again. Correct. I, I think I think that's based on a false god concept. But and we're going to get into how false god concepts affect self-esteem in a little bit. Wendell. Satan uses high self-esteem and low self-esteem. I think equally well mm-hmm. to keep anything away from us from God. Uh, absolutely. Uh, among you know hundreds of millions of other uh, devices that he has. That's correct. Um, let's see. Other definitions uh, define self-esteem as a concept of personality. In order for it to grow, to grow, we need to have self-worth, and this self-worth will be sought from embracing challenges that result in the showing, showing of success. You guys know that there are sporting events for children where there are no winners or losers in an effort to build self-esteem. There are also schools and classes that give out the same grade to every child or to every every class member, whether it's an A, whether it's a C, whatever. Every child gets, every uh, every student gets the same grade because we don't want anyone having an inflated sense of self-worth or a deflated sense of self-worth. You see, anyone see problems with this? Yes. But I, I would say that most of the time self-esteem is is achieved either through genetics or during the first few months of your life. And after that, what you get is pretty hard to add to or detract from what you have. Okay. I hadn't really even considered that angle. I don't know if I can disagree or agree or disagree with it, but valid point. Yes. You know how some personality types seem to have more self-esteem, like a type A personality person seems to have more self-esteem than others. I don't know if it's if the personality determines that or if that determines the personality. Yeah, that was my question. Is it a chicken and egg uh, deal? Is the high self-esteem gravitate someone toward that type of personality or vice versa? I don't know. One thing that uh, really jumped out and fascinated me uh, about some of these definitions, um, high self-esteem correlates highly with self-reported happiness. So those those people who report 
on surveys and tests, and I've included a uh, self-esteem test in here for the, in, in the notes, uh, those who um, score high on uh, self-esteem assessments also report that they're happier. Uh, however, it's not clear which leads to which. Uh, additionally, self-esteem, high, excuse me, self-esteem has been found related to forgiveness in close relationships. People with high self-esteem will be more forgiving than people with low self-esteem. Any thoughts on that? The people who have low self-esteem probably haven't been forgiven. Over and over and over and over, they've been told they're wrong, they're, they're bad, they're ugly, they're... They haven't been forgiven by whom? By their, their, by their community, by parents, by schoolmates, by bosses, whoever. Okay. And they may have the perception that they're not forgiven by God either, right? Well, I, they don't have that first, that they don't know about God, but uh, from the very beginning... There, there's so we we get our our sense of being by how people around us accept us. Uh, we even know God. That, that's one of the, one of the inputs, certainly. Well, that's the beginning. Later, then we learn we learn about God. But from the beginning, we are validated or not validated by our by parental uh, input. Okay. Uh, yes. Think of of the interaction between Christ and Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. What a difference it made in her life because she was forgiven and and how highly he thought of her as a person because because she was valuable in his eyes. And she went on to become, you might say, the first missionary. Mm-hmm. She, she was the first one that Christ appeared to after he resurrected and told her to go and tell the other disciples that he was risen. And I'm sure that must have made a tremendous difference in her self-esteem than when she first met Christ. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, I want to read one criticism uh, of some of these previous definitions, and then we'll, we'll get to the lesson. This is a criticism offered by a psychologist named Albert Ellis. Um, he criticized the philosophy of you know, self-esteem, def- uh, of defining self-esteem as essentially self-defeating and ultimately destructive. Uh, although acknowledging that the human propensity and tendency to ego rating is innate, he claimed the philosophy of self-esteem in the, in the last analysis is both unrealistic, illogical, self, and socially destructive, often doing more harm than good. Uh, the healthier alternative self-esteem, according to him, is unconditional self-acceptance and unconditional other acceptance. And these concepts are incorporated in his therapeutic system Rational emotive behavior therapy. Are we to unconditionally accept ourselves and others? Yes. God does. God does. I think you can love others regardless of conditions, but you don't have to accept the behavior. Okay. I would take your comment one step further. God does unconditionally accept us. God unconditionally wants to heal us as well. And ultimately, if we reject that healing, God will have to unconditionally let us go. Does that go back to the concept of God accepts us, our core, or whatever he originally meant for us to be, but he wants to see us through that healing the way he meant for us to be, not the way that it's turned out, by our choices or our allowance to accept sin into our lives? Kind of. 
that may be my uh, my barrier. Yes. Realizing that we as damaged human beings do not reflect God um, perfectly, but I'd say that most parents accept their children and love their children irrespective of the behaviors that they're displaying or the character traits that they have become. And they hurt when they hurt, and they, um, but they still accept them. I don't know that that's truly godly. I hate to speak for, from a human standpoint to a God, right. to limit God to human perspective. But um, I, you know, if, if you if we look at how we relate to our children, you know, we mm-hmm. may not approve of many of the aspects of our children, but we would hope the best for them and we accept them. Right. When a patient comes into your office with a congenital defect or a traumatic fracture or some some something like that do you unconditionally accept that patient yeah exactly and but is that it we hope not to leave them there correct yeah. you know you, you you wish to intervene to take them beyond the the point to where they where they presented to you and restore them to full and healthy function yes but when a patient comes to the office they want you to intervene that's why they're there not necessarily. The, the, fi- the, fi- the five-year-old with, with, a, with a femur fracture um, may not want... Maybe not the five-year-old, but the five-year-old's parent or whoever brought them there. That's the purpose of them being there. They're not no, there to stay no. the same. No, no, no. That's not the reason for being there. If you're trying to build a case and they want you to, to help them establish uh, a status or something, they're not necessarily there to get better. They're at another goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm afraid that that's. I see that in my practice as well. Uh, I have I have any number of patients come in to see me with an alternate agenda. They're not there to get better. All right. Well, then. Yeah, I see your point. I absolutely see your point. That happens. Then after a while, once you've established the fact that they're not there to get better, you can't really do anything to help them. Mm-hmm. I I have to uncondition unconditionally discharge them, <laughs> unconditionally let them go. <laughs> that, that, that's right. My point is that either they're there because they want to change. Or you, usually, they're yes. There because they don't want to change, then at some point we have to let them go. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, the, the, the lots of great parallels uh, here with uh, what God has to deal with. Okay, the Rosenberg self-esteem scale. I'm, this has ten statements, and and for those who actually want to take this test, uh, look at it on look at it on the notes because it has some strange scoring system, and and you have to keep track of it. But I'm gonna read the statements, and you guys just kind of in your head. Uh, get an idea whether you strongly agree with the statement, agree with it, disagree with it, or strongly disagree with it. On the whole, I'm satisfied with myself. That's our first statement. At times, I think I'm no good at all. Number three, I feel I have a number of good qualities. Number four, I am able to do things as well as most other people. Number five, I feel I do not have much to be proud of. Number six, I certainly feel useless at times. Seven, I feel that I'm a person of worth, at least on an equal plane with others. Number eight, I wish I could have more respect for myself. Number nine, all in all, I'm inclined to feel that I'm a failure. Number ten, I take a positive attitude toward myself. 
Any thoughts on some of these statements and, and where they're directed? Most of them are either about doing something or comparing yourself to someone else. Correct. Kind of Correct. Again, and this is you know, this Rosenberg is one of the guys that wrote one of these definitions back in the '60s that uh, you know, received some criticism for being quite narrow uh, in its definition, but it's still used. I included a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon as well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Calvin is sitting there stickling his paper and he says, my bad grade is lowering my self-esteem. And the teacher says, then you should work harder so you don't get bad grades. And Calvin stops and thinks a minute and he says, your denial of my victimhood is lowering my self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> Wendell? It seems many of the teenagers that come into my office uh, suffer more in this current age, in this current climate, from too high of a self-esteem mm. than too low. Interesting. Yeah. Any idea why? I think because if you look on the internet, you know, in preparing for this class or whatever, about self-esteem, you'll get thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of things about how to improve your self-esteem. Hey, yeah, and, I, I did. Self-esteem is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Someone wrote a review article on the founders of our nation. And from their writings, they tried to establish whether they were had high self-esteem or low self-esteem. And the majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, the founders of our country, were victims of low self-esteem. Hmm, interesting. Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and others. And yet that did not prevent them from functioning at a very high level. Right. And doing very many great things. It was irrespective of their self-esteem. Not that that's good that they had a low self-esteem, but they were, they had some exterior focus that led them to behavior. Interesting. I wish I had come across that because, yeah, I did. I type in self-esteem or self-esteem improvement or low self-esteem in, in a search engine and you get, you know, a million hits. Also, you'll get hits about why your child should have high self-esteem for school and all that sort of stuff. Right. And... There was a good review by Baumeister that showed that self-esteem had nothing to do with grades or performance or success in life mm. or bad behavior or good behavior. Great point. And if, if you guys have read Tim's book, uh, he, he makes an, an excellent um, uh, excellent analogy about the high school cheerleader who, started, who goes out with the captain of the football team. And the captain of the football team decides that he wants to – physically take a relationship uh, beyond where she's comfortable with so she's at a crossroads you know well i want him to like me um but i'm not very comfortable with this uh and depending on which choice she makes what's going to happen to her self-esteem if she allows him to do to do uh, something that she's not comfortable with physically what's going to happen to her self-esteem it's going to it's going to decline if she tells him Thanks, but no thanks. Please take me home. What's going to happen to her self-esteem in the long run? I mean, she may suffer a, a short-term bout of uh, of questioning and doubt, but in the long run, self-esteem is going to build. Um, there's a there's a again in my research doing this. There's a, there's a prevailing attitude in society now that failure will damage self-esteem. And if 
or making a mistake is going to damage self-esteem. How how do we learn without making mistakes? Mm-hmm. My my understanding is when we get to heaven, we'll still make mistakes. If we don't, there there won't be any learning occurring. We won't be sinning, but we'll still make mistakes. We'll still try try an activity. I mean, I used to think, you know, several years, many years ago, that when we got to heaven, I'd be able to play any musical instrument on the planet that existed. Just because, you know, the switch would be turned on. I'll be changed in an instant. I'll, I'll, I'll automatically be able to play the piano. That doesn't make sense now, now that I have a more mature understanding. I, I, if I want to play the piano, I'll have to learn how to play the piano. Uh, and I guarantee I'll make mistakes. Yes, it was a hand on the back. I think that's why the focus should be on God and getting to know Him, taking the focus off of ourselves, because then you're, you could go crazy with the self-esteem, the low, the high, whatever, it's the balance that he was talking about. And when you take your eyes off of yourself and put it on knowing God and, and fulfilling your purpose here on earth, it doesn't, the, the self-esteem, the low, high, doesn't play into that in your thought process because you're not focused on that. You're focused on God and others. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, Sabbath lesson. <clears throat> um, this is a statement from the uh, Teacher's Quarterly. Key concept for spiritual growth. The only means by which human beings can come to a true estimate of their worth is by looking at themselves through the eyes of God. God has placed a high price on us, the blood of his Son. He didn't give the blood of his Son. His Son gave his own blood. Excellent, correct. He did. First of all, let's, let's take this at face value. Rightly understood, is there anything wrong with this statement? No. I mean, it, it is correct. However, it's very dark. It's a very dark uh, statement uh, and, and needs, needs a correct perspective to be, um, to be correct, to be rightly understood, I think. Memory text for Sabbath lesson. Please, uh, someone read that. It's uh, 1 Peter 2.9. A holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Any thoughts? Why did God choose them? Was it because they were better than everybody else? He promised Abraham. Why did he choose Abraham? Was it was Abraham better than anyone else? He obeyed. He followed God. Except his promise. Few people did, but he did. I think in the time of Christ, the Jews took this too literally. And... and Right. What yeah. what was the Jews' self esteem? Did they have low self esteem or did they have a high self esteem? <laughs> right. Uh, their self esteem was off the charts. And uh, Peter here is telling them why why God chose them to be a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That's why they were chosen as a priesthood. That's why we are chosen as a priesthood. Yes. This is a New Testament statement. This right. Is about, this is about us. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the collective Israel. Right. Excellent. Great point. Thank you. All right. Sunday's lesson on origins. 
Do our beliefs and humanity's origins affect our self-esteem? Should they? Yes. Okay. How do uh, how do, how does our belief in a uh, intelligent, loving, benevolent Creator affect our self-esteem, or how should it affect our self-esteem? We should accept our dependence upon God for our true well-being. Okay. If we think that the survival of the fittest idea is is the natural order of things, that the way things just are and ought to be, perhaps, then we have to participate in that. If we think that that's actually something that's contrary to our original design, then we can throw that idea off. And, and even though it's present in the world around us because of sin, we can, we can reject it as something for our own lives. All right, great point. Um, for those who who do believe in a an evolutionary uh, origin, is that more likely to cause a, a low a sense of low self esteem or a sense of exaggerated self esteem? You may feel a low self esteem self esteem, which will cause you to strive to develop some kind of an artificial high self esteem because you're afraid are you really worth anything? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you realize you've been made by a loving God in His image and will be restored to back to that through Him who has the power to do it, that liberates. Uh, the the point that Wendell made uh, earlier that Satan can attack us with low self esteem or high self esteem. Uh, this this lesson uh, brought that brought that to bear. I mean, if you if you if you really consider that you evolved from a pond algae that, that that's not very uh, empowering is it conversely if you think that you evolved from pond algae and you are now uh at the top of the food chain humanity human intelligence which is the pinnacle as good as it gets in the universe that can that can lead to uh, an exaggerated uh self-esteem Makes a whole lot of difference how we treat other people, too. What, our, our view of our origins? Yes. Certainly, absolutely. Yes. I was just going to say, you have to prove your worth based on that theory. And uh, once you get to the top on the rug, you're pulled out from under you, like in this economy, it can be devastating. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other thoughts on how the origins might affect uh, self-esteem one way or the other? Before we move on. Okay, let's look ahead. Let's look at Monday's lesson uh, on self perceptions. Do we generally see ourselves the way others see us? No. <laughs> Probably not. So, if we don't see ourselves the way others see us, how do we do? We tend to see ourselves more positively or more negatively than others. Depends. It, de- it depends. Okay, I'm hearing it depends. What could it depend on? Well, thank you. Great. Thank you all for coming. We'll, we'll meet back here next week. <laughs> Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 gives us a little bit of insight. Uh, hearing that Jesus had sil- silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think here that it's being suggested that we generally view ourselves uh, as a little better than uh, we might view others, or perhaps than we perceive others view us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just another way of saying do unto others as you, as you would have them do unto you. Correct. Yeah, but that can that come back at you. I lived in West Kentucky. I traveled as well in the middle of the Ku Klux Klan and Hell's Angels. And mm-hmm. I heard one guy say do unto others as they do to you. And it wasn't exactly the positive outcome. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember there was a shirt when I was growing up in elementary school. It said do unto others then split. Anybody remember, anybody remember that? The lesson asks a question. Um, so far, what we've understood thus far, how do we look at uh, passage in Romans 12? Uh, someone look at Romans 12, 1 through 3, please. The uh, quote that Christ used as his second law came from Leviticus nineteen eighteen. If you read the entire little statement, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Isn't this fascinating that, that, that we find the same God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, uh, where where there are there are there are numerous um, statements that come from pulpits across the country every weekend that suggest that there are two different gods or two different beings, and the difference is is that Christ paid the penalty on the cross, and that allowed God to to change his tune. It's the same God. He's, tell, he's telling the Israelites, love your enemies. I am the Lord. Okay, he, he's trying to... If, if you read, if you read the, the first five books of the Old Testament, where you know, from creation through uh, the mess that the children of Israel got in, um, he ends a lot of statements with, I am the Lord. I am your God. He, he's trying to... He's trying to re- he's trying to reinforce and reinstill in, in in collective Israel what he what his image because it had been so destro- so nearly destroyed. You know, love your enemies as yourself. I am the Lord. Do not hold a grudge. I am I am God. I, it fascinates me. All right, all right. Romans twelve one through three. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say there, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dwelt to every man the measure of faith. Here Paul is cautioning us not to have a, an exaggerated sense of self-worth. Any other observations? Yes, Eve. I think it's interesting that he says, um, rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, it's, it's basically with a sound mind. Um, 
and we can either direction high or low is imbalanced mm -hmm. and so if we're if we have a healed mind mm. then we can think of ourselves simply as we are you know i am who i am god is working to change me but that's his problem what i've done in the past is forgiven i don't need to worry about it so i'm not concerned with comparison and contrast it's just now. <laughs> Excellent point. Uh, I like I like your point about um, viewing things with sound, sober judgment and a clear mind, and a um, using reason and judgment to evaluate these things instead of emotion and uh, input from other um, other people or other events. Yes. Um, I've read some stuff on this passage before, and back in verse. One right at the end, um, where it says, you know, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Mine said in the main main uh, text, which is your spiritual worship. Her her said reasonable service or something like that. Mm. And in my footnote, um, it's it's like literally your rational service. It's, this is talking about using our minds in this process, not just. A spiritual experience of some kind of feelings and so forth. There's, there's some thinking involved. Yeah, good. Excellent. Yeah, I, I completely agree. In the back. Um, I think we can learn a lot from the life of David. When he was young and, you know, was out with a sheep, he had self confidence, self worth, uh, because he knew it was from God where his strength came from. When he became king and he'd done all these battles and what, all of a sudden he started putting focus on himself, I want things for me, I'm all me oriented, and he fell. But then hardships came and he realized, hey, I remember when I had that spiritual experience with God and where I was, and he went back to that. So, you know, we look on the outside at different things, and God looks at our heart and knows mm -hmm. where we are, and I think that's where we need to get us to where we're seeing ourselves and others when God sees. We may have already covered this, but self-esteem is such a huge buzzword, especially in child psychology. Um, we want to give our kids healthy esteem. That's kind of the, the thing that parents are supposed to do these days. And unfortunately, the way that's done then is usually through helicoptering and coddling and praising everything that they do, which in fact breeds insecurity because it's a very performance-based mentality. Um, but God is not performance-based. He loves us because he created us before we even did anything. When we were in the womb, before we could do anything, he loved us, he knew us. And so there's a song now that, um, I can't remember the artist, but it's, you make everything glorious, and you, I'm yours, what does that make me? And that's really where the, the core of self-esteem has to come from, because if not, then we just continually try to please. We please other people, we treat, try to please God, and that is so self-defeating that it actually creates insecurity. Excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, on to uh, Tuesday's lesson. Um, about two-thirds of the way down, the question asks uh, a great question. Uh, excuse me, the lesson asks a great question. <laughs> Uh, it asks, how does gender slash class slash nationality prejudice affect people's self-esteem? 
Do we see gender differences in self-esteem? What are they? Even within the church, because there's a big issue about whether women should be ministers or not, are they fit for the role? Is that a self-esteem issue, or is that a... Well, I think uh, another. the male gender tends to put women down and tell them that they're not good enough. <coughs> In regards to pay scale, also. <laughs> okay. What are some other gender differences in self-esteem? Or are there? I think she's exactly right with uh, just kind of you look look at the history of it, of, uh, of, of us as a people. I mean, like just, just as of humanity... Men have been putting down women as a way to probably feel better about themselves, I guess, for, for so long. And it's, this was definitely the case in Jesus' day. Women were could not hold property, I don't believe. They, they, their, their testimony was not valid in court. And, and ever since Christ was on this earth, women have been coming to, to, to hear his message and accept, accept him as Savior in greater numbers than men. And actually, in the, it was a second or third century Roman historian, I cannot remember his name now, who, when comment, he was trying to deride the Christian faith, and he said that it was, it was a religion of, a religion of slaves and women. Mm-hmm. And those, yes, those who were not valued as much, as worth much, were the ones who found their worth in Christ. Okay. Um, has anyone seen a, um, sitcom recently or a commercial anyone okay um who's the idiot the white male so the pendulum pendulum has swung in in both directions um and here again you know back to wendell's point satan has numerous devices to um tempt us and distract us and divide us. Uh, I, I certainly can't disagree with your, your comment that, that when the women have been uh, uh, subjected to um, you know, treatment and, and uh, attitudes that are, that are far less than godly. Uh, but it goes both ways. Yes? Well, the devil is against equality, and it wouldn't matter how he accomplished that as far as God... Flattens the plane out, loves us all, no difference. But the devil likes to put that fashion in. He doesn't care whether it's a male or a female issue. He goes against the grain of equality and breaks it down. Or a white or black or brown issue, or um, a United States or Iranian or Egyptian or Sudanese issue. Galatians three twenty six through twenty eight. This this is what Scripture has to um, offer us regarding uh, gender, class, or nationality uh, issues affecting self esteem. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Apparently, uh, some of the Galatians were having uh, difficulties with these issues. For all of you were baptized. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither is there slave or free. Neither is there male or female. You are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. So Paul would, would have us believe there are no male or female as far as uh, God is concerned. Any thoughts? Yes. I think we can extend that even to education. 
a lot of times we like to put somebody that has this certain education above somebody that doesn't. But, you know, God used uneducated people that that's who he could work with. So you can say there are no doctorates or GED recipients. Okay. Fair enough. Wednesday's lesson uh, is basically reviews the parables of the, um, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Uh, in an effort to give us an idea of of how God values uh, humanity collectively and each of us individually, um, I'm not going to review those today. Uh, Thursday's lesson, um, Paul talks about putting on the new self uh, in Ephesians four twenty one through twenty four. Uh, it says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. First, first thing that jumped out at me about this paragraph is I didn't know deceit was lustful. I didn't know that deceit was lustful. Being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Why the desires? The desires of deceit or the lusts of deceitful desires? Okay. What I think this is saying is the, the love of lies. Or the desire to be to, to hear lies and to be told lies and to lie to ourselves. This is a great, this is a great uh, metaphor for, for what um, the state of the wicked in the end, because Scripture also tells us that they, they will be destroyed because they love not the truth. And if you don't love the truth, what do you love? You love a lie. It, it's the, the only two ways about it. Did I see a hand? No. Okay. Um, so Paul tells us to abandon our old self and to put on the new self. Well, what does this new self look like? Again, he tells us uh, later on in the in the passage. Therefore, putting away lying. So we're we're abandoning the lust of deceit. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to his hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So this is what the new self looks like. Thoughts? Wendell. Much of religion today talks about uh, our forgiveness. It doesn't talk about much of healing mm-hmm. and change. Right. You know, um, God's Word translation for verse 24 You are taught to become a new person, created to be like God, Mm. truly righteous and holy. You know, that's what we're to become. Right. 
And uh, it, we're not just forgiven, we're to be healed and transformed and regenerated to be like God truly wants us to be like. Amen. That's a great point. Yes, sir. Uh, Jesus overcame sin. He never gave in to it. Like Joseph didn't give in to temptation when Potiphar's wife was accusing her. And Jesus lived a completely sin-free life. Can I do that? Uh, was the last question? Can I do that? Can I do that? With God's help. Um, why, why, why can't you? He's my example. And, and Stephen forgave people because they're throwing rocks and killing him. But can, can we be complete overcomers of sin in our life here before Jesus Christ returns? Yes. If we cannot, yeah. then, he was our what was, then what was the point? He was our example. If we, can, if we cannot overcome sin in our lives and live sin-free before Christ's second coming, then his death was useless. Okay? There, there's a, there's a, there is a predominant um, doctrine taught in, in much of Christianity today that says that we will continue to live in sin up until the point when Christ comes. But what is your definition of sin? Sin is a separation from God. That doesn't mean that we aren't growing, we're still maturing, but sin ends when you accept God fully and you uh, want to follow Him. It isn't every act that we do or don't do. It's our heart condition. We're healed the minute we come to Him and trust Him and know who He is. We're on, sin goes away. We're on the path to, heal, to complete healing. I, I agree. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, Tim likes to use the, the pneumonia metaphor. When you, if you have pneumonia and you start the antibiotics, you're on the path to healing if you continue taking the remedy. Uh, your symptoms every act is going to be perfect. Symptoms may persist. And in the desire to be like him. Well, I certainly want to, but can I quit backsliding? Why not? Yeah. What's your desire? If Jesus did it, can I do it? He, he never back. Jesus never backslid. He didn't sin. Period. But he didn't. He wasn't Cru- born with a carnal nature like you were either. Well, well okay. Hang on. <laughs> he was. He was born with two conflicting natures. Right. He, he was born with a, a nature of divinity, and he was also born with that carnal nature that we were born with. He wasn't born into sin the way we were born into sin. That's correct. That's correct. His father was the Holy Spirit. His mother was a woman, quote, born under law. And he defeated the sinful nature, and he subjected it to the divine. And, and in, in his humanity, he, he restored God's image. Right. And now he offers via the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and love, to give that to us. And it's, it's not... And this is what this new self looks like. It's not I that live, but it's Christ living in us. And if Christ is indeed living in us, then our lives should resemble his. Ours, yeah, our, in and of ourselves, yes. Our, our humans, human's righteousness, unrestored uh, by Christ, is like filthy rags. Correct. Yes, sir. Until Christ comes back, we are going to be tempted. We will be assaulted by our adversary, by the enemy, the one who wishes us harm. But we will have the choice in every one of those temptations to give in or not. Correct. 
and just and I believe my understanding is just like Christ, we will go through our own Garden of Gethsemane experience where we are are feeling how wide the gulf is between an infinite God and our finite humanity, and we will we will have our past uh, corruption brought to our memory in vivid detail, and we will feel this lack of of a godly connection and presence uh and we will we will be forced to walk that path without the feeling of an intercessor uh but we will be so settled into the truth about the character of god and the character of christ that we will not be able to be moved from that and who is tempting you at that moment in your valley of um, death. Well, Satan will still have the abilities to tempt us. That's bringing this to your mind and saying, look at you, you're not worth God. God doesn't, doesn't need to save you, you've been horrible. Well, that may not be the only temptation. Jesus telling you that these things is Satan. It, that, that's right. My understanding is that Satan not only tempted not only tempted Christ in the garden that his sacrifice wouldn't work for humanity, he tempted him to continue his work. Which was appealing to a different, uh, a different uh, part of the psyche and self-esteem. You know, he he flattered him, said, "You you've done an amazing job in these three short years. Look look what you've done. Look how much you've got to do. You're gonna leave you're gonna leave the work to these boneheads sleeping over here. That doesn't make sense. You you should continue. Okay, consider that temptation for a minute." Uh, we need to wrap up. W- one last thing. I want to. The, in Friday's lesson, the, the second quote from Ellen White uh, I, I liked. I want to read it, and then we can. Uh, uh, I'll take any thoughts, and we'll close. We lose many. This is from uh, the Lake Union Herald, November 3, 1909. We lose many and rich blessings because we neglect to seek the Lord with humble hearts. When we come to Him in a sincerity of heart, asking Him to reveal our defects. He will show us the true picture of ourselves, reflected in the mirror of his word. Then, having seen ourselves as God sees us, let us not go away, forgetting what manner of men we are. Let us study critically the features of our character that are defective, and seek for grace to make them like the pattern presented in the word of God. We have to know that foundational idea of God's completely accepting loving regard for us to be able to do this in a healthy manner. That's that's the foundation upon which this can be done um, in order to, to be able to honestly look and not crumble and um, turn away from it, but to, to face it honestly and, and with God's help, um, let him change us. Thank you. Well said. Let's close with prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for... Um, this, again, this day-to-day, uh, this um, this lesson regarding self-esteem. I want to thank you um, for your unconditional love and acceptance of us. Um, and well, I ask that you continue to mold and shape our characters to that like your son, so that when you come again, we can stand ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.